Hello, this is Dave, sometimes known as Vitriol from Anel Nathrak, and you're listening to Interview Under Fire. All right, everyone, Sonny back here with another new episode of Interview Under Fire. Dave Hunt, also known as Vitriol, thank you so much for joining our podcast today on IUF. An exciting time of the year for you and Mick Kenny over at Ananathrak with the release of your 11th studio album, Endarkenment, which comes out October 2nd on Metal Blade Records. You know, first off, congratulations on all of the well-deserved recognition it's been getting so far. But before we get to all that, I'm going to ask a very important question. It's a very simple one, but I think it's an important one to ask for during the last six months. How are you? <laughs> How have things been for you and Mick for, you know, the band as of late? How has everything been, you know? since our lives have pretty much have changed, I guess, from back in March. How's life in the UK? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, thanks for the, uh, for, for, for the introduction like that. But, but yeah, it's, um, it's a weird feature of the world in 2020 that when, when people say to each other, how are you, they actually mean it now, don't they? <laughs> right. <laughs> it's just one of those things that people say to each other, and usually it's just, you know, grist to the conversational mill that really means very little. But but now it's, yeah, the, the answer could literally be, well, actually, I'm dying. Um, you know, um, it's scary times. Um, so, yeah, as it happens, uh, I am okay now, touch wood, he says, touching his desk. Um, yeah. <laughs> I speak to Mick all the time, and he certainly hasn't mentioned being ill. Not that we uh, we see each other face to face with the way things are. Um, so yeah, we're 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 as healthy as as we could be under the circumstances. Personally, I'm a little bit fed up of not being able to do many of the things I want to be able to do. Just like I'm sure you are, and everyone else who might listen to this. Um, but we're we're just about coping. And frankly, as I'm quite a, quite an introvert in my normal private life, so um, so same it's here. Kind of, <laughs> it's not to do things sometimes. <laughs> I'm okay with it. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Um, but yeah, it's um, it's been very interesting. And and obviously, I mean, this sounds like uh, the smooth media professional uses that as a cue to segue neatly into some themes that might crop up. I don't mean it quite as cynically as that. But the the way the pandemic's gone on and everything has sort of played quite well with Endarkenment, the album. Um, which obviously isn't by design. We couldn't have predicted that this was all going to happen, but but many of the things we were talking about on the album seem to have been drawn out more clearly um, than right. than ever before by what's happened during the pandemic. So we're talking about, you know, ignorance among people who choose to be ignorant or people not listening to each other in the same way that maybe they used to and and as ever incompetence by assholes that are in charge of society and all of those things seem to be uh, seem to be more to the fore now so in a weird way the pandemic's kind of been good for the album um even though that's not necessarily something i would want to say about the world it's kind of like you know if you're a satirist and you make jokes about how awful everything is it doesn't help to find out that you were right all along. That's not what you were yeah. necessarily aiming for, but but it's it's part of the art of doing it, you know, and and although we couldn't have foreseen it, that's kind of how it's turned out with the album. I, I mean, I got to say, I mean, as a fan, I'm listening to your music as long as I have. I mean, I felt like in Darkman was just a, it's almost like everything that's we've experienced that you're just turning into a different aspection, you know, like different perspective into a sound. It was a perfect time to release that, like you said. It's not like you were planned. And here's the thing, when it comes to releasing an album, and I've, I've talked to many artists about this. There's no protocol for a pandemic, you know? There's so many different 
lines to follow when it comes to okay this is happening so we're releasing at this time there's a release happening at this time we're gonna move this around but with a pandemic there's no rules about that you don't you don't know and and i'm it you know i don't know if it was there was a challenge for you guys to stick with the schedule and because you know there have been album delays for this pandemic was document even in that conversation or you guys just did it you know okay let's just release it on this day this is how we're going to do it we're not going to move it around yeah i mean just like everyone else we're we're way off the script now aren't we you know the, the whole world yeah. is um and yeah i mean we we don't actually get to choose when um releases come out um we we make them obviously um but <laughs> when i say that about us i mean it in a slightly more thorough sense than most other bands because we do everything we don't just go into the studio and make some noise we go into the studio make some noise record ourselves doing it do all the production ourselves put the artwork to get you know we we make the whole package um, in-house so to speak um, so we do have a lot more control than many other bands over when the record label gets everything yeah um, we're not waiting for an outside artist or a producer or whatever um, but then when we hand it over to the record label it's, it's out of our hands then um, and record labels typically they'll they'll take something like I don't know three four months at least from when they get it because then they know there can't be more delays because, you know, bands can be a bit flaky with that. But once the record label has it in their hands, they, they know that it won't be delayed anymore. Um, and they can schedule some press build up, you know, all of that kind of stuff that record labels do. Um, but in this case, we handed it over and then ooh, I can't remember the exact date, but it was probably about a week or two weeks later. Lockdown happens. Oh, wow. Uh, so it was it was that close to the wire, so to speak. Um, so we didn't know what the hell was going to happen at all. We, we had no idea, you know, would, would the record label continue to exist? Would anyone want to buy an album ever again? You know, at the time, everything was going completely crazy. So we, we didn't know what was going to happen. Um, and then, yeah, eventually we, we heard from Metal Blade that we had the release date and that it was going to be in October. But that was, yeah, I mean... It's only a week away now, but that was like seven months or something after we mm -hmm. had the album over. Um, and maybe in normal circumstances, you might feel a bit frustrated by that. But obviously, you know, it, it would be ridiculous to feel frustrated now. But it's been just odd, <laughs> you know, if, if yeah. nothing else, it's been strange. But at the same time, we've, we've tried to use that time a little bit. Um, I mean, obviously you try to do certain things in the build up to an album. I talk to people such as your good self and you know, you, you do various little promotional things. You might make a video for example. Um, and with the prolonged period with this album, we've sort of paid a little more attention to that. You know, the, we, we put together a, a video and spent a bit more time on it than we might've done otherwise and, and so on and so forth. So it's sort of this weird like slow motion version of normality, if you know what I mean. It, it's mostly kind of normal, aside from the fact that we're not booking shows, but it's just taken so long to get to where we are now. You know, it's yeah. a weird mixture. You know, speaking of normal, you know, I'm going to backtrack a little bit. And you with Anal Nathrak, you've been, you've been at this for two decades, man, Dave, you know, and I want to ask, how was the touring life for you personally? Because you guys did some, you know, some touring, you know, much, you know, maybe like the third album after third album. And you guys, you guys actually did go around the world, played at Vakan, Damnation, Summer Breeze, even Maryland Death Fest. So I want to ask you, what was your favorite part about touring? Because now that you're home, 
you kind of taking like an, like an unseen step back and does it make you have a growing appreciation of the touring life because we're call, we're talking about you know culture fans even the food there's just so many things to pick up about, about touring about what makes it amazing what was your biggest takeaway from it yeah i mean <clears throat> we're uh, yeah we we've never been motorhead like you know we've never spent <laughs> yeah right right day off or anything but but at the same time yeah we it has been a while that we've been doing this stuff live um and really it's it's the opportunity to get to see other parts of the world that's that's the biggest deal um for me personally um i think both of us me and you're probably aware but just in case anyone listening isn't there's two of us in this band normally for for studio purposes and then we flesh out the live the live band with with musicians as well so there's you know there's five of us live um and i i think to all of us to a certain extent but me and mick being like the focal point of it both of us unfortunately find touring quite stressful um which is i mean it's a bit of a downside but you take that in stride because you know there are lots of people who'd kill to be able to do some of the things that we've done um but the the smooth that comes with that rough is being able to see some of these places and and meet some of these people that people from our backgrounds just don't get to do you know we it's not like we're globetrotter types of people in the first place um so yeah i mean you mentioned some of the festivals we've been lucky enough to do um well not luck we worked damn hard over the years but we, we've yeah. been anyway. um but then i mean even more exotic stuff i mean i've i've gone around south america a couple of times with benediction with anon nathrek we played in uh the dark mofo festival in tasmania which is by australia and we've been around japan a couple of times we've been to russia you know all of this stuff is you know the the people who i sat next to in class at school most of them haven't done things like that and that's not me trying to big myself up and saying we we appreciate that we've had opportunities right. most people don't you know um and to meet people in all of these places, um, it's been fantastic on that level. I mean, obviously, there's also the artistic side of it. You know, playing live is very different than recording in a studio, and it's got its its exhilarations and and its spectacles and all of that kind of stuff. Um, so, for example, last year, um, one of the most recent shows we played, as it turns out, because of the way everything's gone so weird, um, we had a, a missed plane um, on the way to... Uh, a show in the Czech Republic, a quite big um, festival. It's about, I don't know, 10,000 people there or something. And because we'd missed our show, uh, our flight, we we got put on after the headliners um, that was Carcass. Um, and so we played like on the stage next to the main stage to the entire crowd of like 10,000 people as if we were the headliners. You know? Wow. <laughs> and little random things like that that there's no way you could predict that you know those are memorable experiences um but really it's yeah it's it's being able to see parts of the world and experience things that we just never would otherwise that's what really blows me away and this has been a popular topic on the show for the last six months and you've seen this you know live streaming a lot of the bands have been doing you know what they've been doing on stage now they're taking it live like we're talking on the computer right now so i wanted to ask being on the road as long as you have and all the experiences you've taken in, the many places you've seen, the, all the fan interaction that you guys have, and the and the love that you guys have from the fans, the reception, and bands like Code Orange and Insomnium, I think Lamb of God, if they haven't done it already, I think they're doing live streaming like soon, I believe. Behemoth did one, Imperial and Triumphant. I went to a Metallica live streaming, 
two uh, two weeks ago, believe it or not, and it was my first ever Metallica experience ever. I've never seen Metallica live, and okay. Dallas sold Dallas sold out. Like it was crazy. I don't know if you knew about that. They did the nationwide live streaming, and I got to experience that at the at the at the you know the drive in. It made me miss the live experience even more. So reverting back to my question, Dave, do you think the quarantine induced live streaming surge that we're seeing right now from these artists is that going to affect the touring musician business going forward? Do you still see bands doing this even after all this is over? Um, whether or not they'll do it, I don't know. Because, I mean, obviously, a lot of people outside of music, a lot of people have been working from home and all of a sudden finding, hang on, this is possible. I didn't think this was going to work. <laughs> so, so, yeah, maybe even once we can go back to normal, um, whatever that means, um, maybe that will create a culture change. Um, but with live music... Uh, yeah whether it does happen whether some bands decide they do like it i don't think it should happen really i mean we're not big on saying what should happen but it just doesn't it doesn't work for me um i don't blame anyone who's who's been doing it or plans to do it and i'm sure that some people get a lot out of it but it's not something i personally would would really want to do um i hate watching videos of when we've played um ourselves and I, I think most people can probably sympathize to the extent that they if you hear your speaking voice recorded you normally go oh my god <laughs> <laughs> man i can't so here's the thing so i don't mean to interrupt you here but like i didn't know I was, I was gonna be doing podcasts six months ago and now i've done like maybe 60 or 70 of them and mm -hmm. now i i hate hearing myself but it's you know i i, I don't I understand what you feel when you say that yeah, exactly. I mean, and, and the thing is, there's nothing wrong with the way that you sound. And, and uh, you personally or anyone out there, you know, there, there, there's nothing wrong with it, but all the way that you look on film. But when you see it yourself, you just think, oh, God, no, that's awful. Um, so I've, I've always had um, yeah, a bit of an aversion to seeing us live. And then when when I think of the, the, the way that actually being at a, a show feels, I mean, a, a, a show like one of ours, I don't mean like a, a spectacle where, where you're three car parks away. Yeah. Or whatever, you know. One of ours is, is, tends to be a bit more sort of visceral and, uh, and immediate. If, if you're actually at a show like that, then that is so different than watching a video, I think. Um, it, it is so, it's such an enormously different experience. So when I, I, I think of, of what it must be like to be watching videos of us or whoever it is compared to that experience that I've had from as a performer and as a, as a, a fan that shows myself, there just isn't a comparison they're, they're totally different things. Um, and I like the idea of the real deal live show, whereas watching something on video, it just, it's lacking for me. Um, it doesn't have things that make live stuff good, but it has a lot of the things that make live stuff bad. <laughs> yeah. And, and that, that's okay. You know, that that's totally your opinion. I like asking this question because every artist has have it. They have a different perspective. They're like, Oh yeah, I, I love the live streaming. It, it keeps me engaged. I can still interact with the fans. And there are other artists who say, I'm not doing shit until all this is over, you know? And it's a, you don't know, like there's just the uncertainty of going forward and you guys are doing what you're doing, which is fine. And I think that's okay. Yeah, I, t I think it also it will it will vary with with which 
band you're talking about? I mean, I, d I don't know if you like Pink Floyd, but I've, I used to live. Oh, I love Pink Floyd. <laughs> I grew up listening to Pink Floyd. <laughs> I used to share a house with a guy who was, who was really into, into it. And so he used to put Pulse on. Presumably you've seen the video of Pulse. Yeah. Um, and that completely works. You know, you turn the lights out, you get your nice big TV going, you run it through your stereo, and it's a fantastic experience because that suits that kind of music. Um, and many bands, possibly even bands in extreme metal, they do sort of suit that kind of thing. Um, it's just I don't think we're one of them. You know, we'd, we've, we just have a, would you call it maybe a punk sensibility or something like that, something a bit more down and dirty about the way we like to do things. Plus, of course, um, many bands can at least get together, socially distanced possibly, but they can get together in a room with a camera, whereas – with us, I live in the UK and Mick lives in California. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. it live, we wouldn't be able to be in the same room. It would have to be some kind of weird tele presence thing to even play. So, yeah, I don't think it's on the cards for us. Yeah, we've talked about a lot of things that have not really been the norm, but let's talk about something normal. I promise we'll talk about Endarkment right now. We, I know we touched on a lot of things. You know, your 11th album, Endarkment, comes out October 2nd, Metal Blade Records. If I'm, you know, when I heard it, it was chaotic, which I love just the sound that you guys incorporated within within yourselves. It's chaotic, raw. It was very mature. I felt like it was mature with the whole the law, new new kind of horror, but you guys just took it to another level. You guys are in a league of your own. And if I'm correct, in another interview, you said the music was written in less than a week. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, thanks. I'm, I'm <laughs> it. Um, but so, yeah, it was um that's just the way mick writes though yeah i i was i was gonna ask on from the follow-up you know how much do you think changed from when you first started composing on this album to where you ended up finishing it did a lot change in between did nothing change in between was there already a specific sound you guys knew you wanted within darkenment um no not really um we we tend not to plan things like that um so yeah from from having nothing apart from maybe some ideas in our heads um, to having two stages, really. First of all, you have nothing and then you have the music and then you go from having the music to having the music with vocals on. There's two of us and that's the way it works. So from having nothing whatsoever to having the music, that is literally a few days. Um, and that's as a result of Mick's ability to do it. Like, I mean, what's the, what's, what's the term? Savant, something like that. Yeah, um, he he just he gets into a certain mindset and turns an idea in his head into music. I don't know how. Um, in fact, I'm not even sure he knows how. Um, <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> that's how it happens. You know, that's just what it is. Um, and so, yeah, we were talking um, in bits and drabs, uh, text messages. You know, this kind of the way that you do talk to someone who's in another country. And we were talking about, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sit down and write some music today, and all that kind of thing. And then I get, a few days later, I'll get a message saying, uh, "Yep, done now." <laughs> it's like, what, yeah. what? What? I mean, I know you do it fast, but even by your standards, that's ridiculous. And he goes, "Yep, yeah, that's just it. Just came out, and it was good, and and that's it." Um, so yeah, like I say, I'm not even sure Mick knows how he does it himself. Um, but that's just the kind of creature he is. He can do that. Um, most people can't, he can good for him. Um, and then, yeah, there's the stage after that is basically for me to do my part. Um, so there was a, a little bit of time when we had to get flights booked and everything, because we always like to record together. Um, 
even though we, we tend to write things separately. And in this case, uh, Mick came over here to the UK. The last album we did, I went over to his place in California. So that was kind of nice, but <laughs> he came yeah. over went to an industrial estate in Birmingham and that was less nice but at the same time it meant that we could focus on the music rather than rather than sunshine and happy hour <laughs> you know speaking of Mick you know he's he's also known for his work with motionless motionless and wide bleeding through carnifex 18 visions was there a sense of comfortability for you Dave in the studio knowing that Kenny was in there engineering the album with you um not in terms of respecting the stature of the man because of the work he's done um that's that's just what he does um there is definite comfort for me and it makes it an attractive thing to do in the first place knowing that i'll be working with mick in terms of it being working with the guy i've known for more than 20 years and we've worked together for a a lot of time before um i I don't feel like i can rely on the the stuff he does with other people because that's 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 the job he's doing with other people but i know what we do um yeah and i can i can always depend on that it's kind of like we we don't necessarily each know what the other will do but we know we'll like it you know um we're on the same page without having to explain anything to one another um so yeah that gives it a great a great ease of working certainly yeah, some of the songs that you have in there, you know, like Feeding the Death Machine, which ties into the, you know, uh, relation of events of what happened in Auschwitz. Then you have a song like Requiem, taken from the Requiem Mass. And for my listeners who don't know, it's Giuseppe Verdi's setting of the funeral mass. And then you have a song like Singularity, which is the relationship between AI and the human decadence and its destructive nature. So I wanted to ask, you know, to what level do you like to have a theme for your records? And how important are themes for you? Is that more about helping you guys write? or sound or is that more for the audience because a lot of artists they don't really care about themes they just do like 10 songs in the studio and that's it which is fine but i felt like there was like a sense of commonality within the songs that you wrote with this song with this album yeah um well to be honest i I think some listeners are like that as well you know that they just listen to half an hour 40 minutes an hour whatever it is of of music and then press stop and they don't think about it any more than that and that's fine we don't mind that um we we make music um but in terms of themes and stuff, they tend to emerge after um, everything's written. So the the things that we end up writing songs about are things that have been in my head. Um, and I don't try to make all the songs hang around a certain theme or set of themes or anything like that. But having done whatever felt like the most vital and important and musically fitting thing to do on each song at the end of it i often it's often been the case when we've made an album i sort of step back and go oh hang on (laughs) you know there are things that tie some of these things together that i hadn't necessarily engineered to be the case um but sort of emerge as you as you take a step back and look at it and that was definitely the case with this album the the songs are very often linked to one another thematically speaking but that wasn't the intention at the time this idea of endarkenment was was basically what turned out to be the title track um and then i realized that it had sort of tendrils that reached into everything else and it's like well there you go then that's the name of the album as well wow that's a very interesting approach the you're, you're it's like you guys you don't know what you're going to end up with. You just go in there and do it. And then at the end, it, I, that I feel like that's that feels as if you're less pressured to write the music you want, right? Does that make yeah. sense? 
Yeah, we, we, we would reject any pressure to do anything any way in particular. I think even if we were the ones making that pressure, um, okay. I think things come out best. Things are most authentic if you just let them let them go where they lead you. And having said that, 11 albums, Dave, show dedication to your craft. Have your aspirations as a person or a band, have they changed or evolved since when you first started making music in the industry? Do you see things differently now? Um, yeah, but only really by degrees. I mean, so when we started out, we, we weren't really the type of people, neither of us, to sit there and think, yeah, I want to be famous, or yeah, I want to do this, or yeah, I want to do that. Um, but we had quite small scale that you could call ambitions, like, I don't know, get a record deal. But I'd, I really thought it would be great if I could walk into the store where I, I used to go to buy CDs and tapes and see our album there next to those. God, I miss doing that. <laughs> I just miss I just miss going to CD shops and just buying CDs. I have in the corner of my room. I have just have just have a load of CDs. I still buy them today. Mm -hmm. But now it's mail order and that that, that little thing. Of, yeah, I, I used to enjoy. I get my pocket money as I would call it at the time and and run to the shop. But but I don't really buy CDs now. Um, I buy downloads now. Um, I, d I know a lot of people have turned to vinyl because they like like the tactility of a record and, and that kind of thing. But to me, the the physical object has very little to do with the music. So if I do get a CD, I just I, I rip it and I, I put it in a in a box, which is a bit yeah. weird. <laughs> <laughs> music sales, but you know that's it's the way things evolve. The one thing that I do encourage, if anyone gives a shit, um, is to actually but even if you're only using downloads to buy downloads instead of just relying on spotify or something because that does actually help the bands but whether yeah. whether you put an album on on cd or or some other format or buy a download or anything i don't think it really makes all that much difference it's the music that we're here for right yeah at the same time i've become such of an audiophile these days so i when i download my music i make sure it's like in the perfect shape yeah spotify is great but i like to give the artists you know their money's worth because i mean they wouldn't be here today you wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for the fans i wouldn't be here today if it was if it wasn't for the music you create so it all ties in together and yeah. for my listeners it's it's that much important you gotta buy the album i strongly suggest you buy in document spotify is great but give anal Athrog the support <laughs> yeah i mean i'm hardly going to disagree with that <laughs> the recipient of, uh, of any benefits that might accrue but yeah, yeah it is true in general and i try to do the same thing as well yeah okay the the, the format quality is important i only buy lossless downloads but um the format isn't really quite such a deal but i always try and buy one way or another um music that i enjoy especially if it's you know current music especially if it's bands who are who are working hard at the time because yeah like you say they, they won't be there if if they don't get uh, a bit more help than the likes of spotify often give as, as great as it is to get exposure and to as a customer to to have lots of music to listen to it i, I try to use streaming as a, a discovery service you might say um and then if there's something good to actually buy a copy and, and try and support it that doesn't sound too self-interested a thing to say as a musician i think it just sounds you know it's a supportive thing to do to to get more music that you love not at all. And yeah, you you said it well right there. And uh, Dave, you know, we covered everything from top to bottom. And I, you got, I know you got another show to get to in about five minutes. But before we finish things off here, do you have any shout outs, any plugs, anything you want to mention about Endarkman or Anam Nathrak before we finish things off here? 
Actually, nothing pre-prepared that, that I have in mind. Um, <laughs> genuinely do appreciate that people give a shit uh, enough to listen to something like this, enough to listen to our music. We're, we're very down-to-earth types. So, yeah, a genuine thank you to you for caring enough to spend the time talking to me and to anyone listening. And hopefully, yeah, who knows what will happen, but hopefully we'll, we'll get the chance to, to actually see you and, and play live for you. Man, I'll, t I'll tell you this. Come to Dallas, man. We have we have a uh, a really good community here. You know, Unalnathrak is a very popular name that comes up. You know, especially I remember seeing Nails a couple couple years ago, and there were so many uh, fans in the in the stands. You know, with your shirt on. You know, Unalnathrak, and uh, that was like that made me really proud. That showing that Dallas has a community. Of course, there's Austin, of course, but come to Dallas, man. That'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. As far as other guys, but anyway, <laughs> yeah. No, <laughs> If we get the chance, we will. We would love to. It would be an honor. So, yeah, hopefully. Fingers crossed. And, every, and everyone who's listening, this is Dave Hunt, a.k.a. Vitriol from Unalnathrock. Their 11th studio album in Dark Mint comes out October 2nd, all Metal Blade Records. Please, please, please buy the album. Spotify is great. We talked about it just recently. Buy the album. Support these guys. They'll be on the road as soon as you know. Dave, thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. You stay safe out there in England, man, and uh, we'll do this again sometime in the very near future, okay? Cool. Hey guys, thanks for listening to Interview Under Fire podcast. If you guys liked what you heard, please subscribe and share our channel. And please leave a five-star review as that helps us tremendously. And also, if you guys have any questions or comments, you can find us at Interview Under Fire at Facebook or at Instagram. Or you can write us directly at schwag at interviewunderfire.com. That's S-C-H-W-A-G at interviewunderfire.com. Or Rezablade, that's R-E-Z-A-B-L-A-D-E at interviewunderfire.